So Mark 12, 35 through 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come into this place with a variety of different experiences this last week, a variety of different fears, anticipations of this coming week. Lord, some of us are coming in here feeling like we have a lot to give, and some are feeling like we have nothing but deficit, Lord, nothing but lack. We have very little to offer. But Lord, the same invitation exists for all of us to lay it all down and to give everything we have, to give our lives, to give our, our glory away and to receive what you have to give. God, I pray a special protection over your people today, as they hear this word, Lord, that we would receive the gospel and be protected from guilt-motivated or, or self-seeking service. God, we pray that your grace, your love, your mercy would cover us and we would hear nothing but the kind and loving, generous words of our Father beckoning us to receive all that Jesus has given and lay everything else we have at his feet. Teach us, Lord, and lead us in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what we value most in this world, whatever it is, whatever your greatest value is, it will determine who you become. Most children in America are taught from a very young age that if you try hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can become whatever you want to be. And for the most part, for the most part, we, we see that happening. We can, we can believe that to be true. We see people committing their lives. Today, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Those people on the field have committed their entire lives to be the absolute best at something. And this is, this is a showing of the, the best football has to offer. Whether you want to be a doctor, a CEO, an astronaut, from a young age, if you cast everything else aside, make that your ultimate value, sacrifice everything else, and pursue that with all the energy and passion you have, you might be able to accomplish 
accomplish those things. But who will you become in the process? You might be able to become whatever you want, and you might lose yourself in the process. Character has been defined as who we are when nobody is watching. Who are you, not at work, not at the family dinner table, not among friends, who are you when nobody is watching you? This is our character. Our character is not shaped by the jobs that we have. Our character is not shaped by our accomplishments, by the goals that we have set. Our character is shaped by our values, specifically what we value the most. I started watching a couple of weeks ago, Cobra Kai. (laughs) If you aren't familiar with Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai follows the story of Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence, the two karate rivals from the original Karate Kid. It picks up their lives years later after they've had families of their own and life has taken its toll. And their lives have taken shape around the lessons that they've learned. If you remember the original Karate Kid, which still holds up, highly recommend it. Daniel LaRusso is trained by the wise and very zen Mr. Miyagi. He's like the teacher we've always wanted for all of life. Mr. Miyagi, right? And so karate, it's about defense. It's about balance and honor and respect and all of these things. And so Daniel's life has taken shape around those things. But Johnny Lawrence has learned to strike first, strike hard, and show no mercy. (laughs) And his life has taken shape. His life has taken shape around it. It's fallen apart. He's, 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 he's pursued this, his, uh, this, this take, kill, like just win at all costs has taken shape around that. And his family's fallen apart and he has an estranged relationship with the son and all of this stuff. And so the two of them form their own dojos. And so they train the way they have been trained. And so the students that come around them are desiring different things based on their styles and based on what they have to offer. But soon into the show, you realize that though they have two very different methods, they have the same value. They want to destroy each other. They want to kill one another. They want to win at all costs. They have the same value, though it looks very different on the surface. And so this is true of us. We're all in pursuit of something. We all desire something. We all have things that we value. And it may look different on the surface from person to person. But what we value, whatever it is that we are pursuing most in life, it will not only lead us to what we do and how we do it, but it will determine who we become. And if we are not careful we may find ourselves achieving all of our dreams, accomplishing all of our goals, checking all of our boxes, and becoming someone that we never wanted to be in the process. This is what our text today demonstrates. There are two ways to live. One way is in pursuit of the world's values, and the other way is in pursuit of God. And this is seen in the question that Jesus asks. 
He challenges the scribes' interpretation of the scriptures. He says, how can they say the Christ is the son of David when David himself calls him Lord? Now, a father in David's day, in Jesus' day, would never call their son Lord. The father was the Lord of the estate. He was the the master of the estate. That word Lord in Hebrew is the word Adonai. And it's not just a a title for God, but it means master or, or, or Lord. And so a father who was master of an estate would never refer to his son as Lord. Someday the son would become the Lord of the estate, but only after the father died and never before. And so how can David call him Lord if he is his son? Now, this is something we need to understand right away. Jesus is not denying his Davidic lineage. He is not saying, I'm not the son of David. The scribes have it wrong. They say that the Christ is supposed to be the son of David. I'm the Christ and I'm not the son of David. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that I am not only the son of David. I am more than the son of David. I'm so much more than an earthly king with an earthly kingdom in this world. As David, as, as, as great as David was, he was merely human. And so Jesus doesn't want his people living for a human kingdom alone brought on by someone who is merely human. But because if we pursue a worldly kingdom with worldly values, we will become just like the world. But we await a heavenly kingdom ushered in by a heavenly king, the son of God. And those who pursue Jesus' kingdom will be shaped by Jesus' values and we will become like Jesus. If we want to know what kingdom we're pursuing, We need to know what we value. These next two scenes, Jesus identifies two very different people. First, he warns the people to beware of the influence of the scribes. Because the scribes, what they really want is what the world offers. They follow a worldly idea of power and influence, and so they gain worldly glory for themselves. They love to walk around in long robes. They love the best seats in the synagogue and and at festivals. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love the popularity. They love the status. They love the wealth. They love the acclaim. But it's all a show. And Jesus says it comes at the expense of the poor and destitute. They devour widows' houses. I can't imagine a more extreme explanation of injustice. Someone that has everything devouring a widow's house. A widow was the most marginalized poor, uh, uh, no, no opportunity in life, scrounging to survive the most vulnerable people in this society. And the scribes are devouring everything they have. Then Jesus points to the woman. She's exactly one of these widows whose houses have been devoured. She's poor, 
She's destitute. She is in great need. Now, given the choice, given the opportunity to choose which life we want, the scribes or the widow, what do we choose? It's the scribes every time. We don't want poverty. We don't want brokenness. We don't want isolation. We don't want to be destitute. We want the scribes. We want the good life. We want everything that this world has to offer. God has made this world beautiful and good, and he's filled it with his goodness. There's so many good things to pursue in this world. There's so many opportunities to receive from what God has made. We want the good life. These things aren't wrong, what the the, the scribes have. If we were to choose whose life looks most blessed by God, would it be the scribes who have everything that the world has to offer and, 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 and a religious position to boot? These are the religious leaders. They're the teachers of the law. These are the, the religious elite in the day. Are they the most blessed by God? Or is it this woman who's the most blessed by God, who's been stricken by poverty and tragedy? Well, of course, the scribes look to be the most blessed. God has clearly blessed them, probably because of their religious service. If we were to choose from these people, from the scribes or the woman, who do we think is the most able to be used by God? The scribes who from their wealth and status have something to contribute? Or the widow who has nothing? She's got nothing to give. She's got two coins. That's it. See, the scribes want what the world has to offer, but the woman wants the kingdom of God. She takes all that she has and she gives everything to the most worthy cause that she can think of. She gives everything for the sake of God's work in the world. When we look at the scribes and we look at the widow, it's easy to choose scribes every time. Jesus chooses the widow. That should mean something to us. On the surface, what the wealthy people bring to the offering box, what the scribes have to offer the world, seems to be so much greater than what this widow has, her two coins. But they were only contributing to their own glory. The scribes appear to serve God on the surface, but they're only serving themselves. They give from their wealth to increase their glory, but this woman gives from her poverty to magnify the glory of God. If you want to know what you truly value, then you got to look at what you're willing to give. And you got to look at to whom you are giving it. I'm so afraid that much of what modern Christianity has become and our modern spiritual practices, it looks more like investments than sacrifice. It looks more like giving to get than giving because of what we have already received. It looks more like transactions than worship. 
We give our time on Sundays. We read our Bibles. We pray throughout the week. But if we're really spiritual, then then maybe we'll give some of our income and it looks great on the surface. But when trials and difficulty come, we get upset because we feel like we're being robbed. We feel like it's an injustice. God, I've given you all of this and you've given me hardship. You've given me difficulty. You've given me tragedy. We feel wronged. And the reason we feel wronged is because we were never giving to God. We weren't going to church or using our time for God. We were using it to make ourselves feel better. We weren't giving our finances to the kingdom of God. We were giving our finances to check a box. I give, I serve, I study my Bible, I read today, I'm a good Christian. It's transactional. It's consumerism. It's serving ourselves. It's giving to God so long as we get what we really want. I heard Tim Keller tell a story, an old folk tale, about a wise and and generous king. And in this king's kingdom, there was a farmer, a good, talented, uh, uh, gracious man. And this farmer uh, grew a prized winning carrot. And he saw this carrot, and it's the greatest carrot he's ever made, ever produced in his life. And so out of his generosity, his gratitude, his love and service of the king, he goes to the king, he's invited into the, into the king's courts, and he says, oh king, wise and generous, wonderful king, I'm a humble farmer. And I have grown in my farm the the most beautiful carrot I've ever seen. And out of my gratitude, oh king, I want to give you this carrot. The king is moved by this farmer's gift. And he says, because you've shown me this kindness, because you've shown me this generosity, I want to give something to you. I own the field next to your field. And because you are such a good steward of your own land, I want to give you this field so that you can steward and work this land and grow more carrots like this. Thank you for being such a good farmer. The man goes away overjoyed. And in the king's court that day, there was a guard who saw all of this happening. And he says to himself, if if a carrot gets you a field, what will a horse get you? So he comes the next day with a horse and he says, oh, good, generous king, I'm but a a, a humble guard in your service and I I have these stables and and I raise horses and, and, and I've raised the greatest horse that I've ever produced before. And out of my gratitude for who you are and for your royalty, I want to give you this horse. And so the king receives the horse and says, thank you. The guard waits, expecting to receive something. And when he doesn't, he says, says, King, I I don't get it. The farmer came in yesterday, gave you a carrot, and you gave him a field. I came in today, I gave you a horse, and all I get is a thank you. And the king says, well, here's where you're wrong. Yesterday, that man gave me a carrot. Today, you gave yourself a horse. I'm afraid that so much of our 
Christian living, our Christian worship, our Christian service is just trying to give ourselves a horse. We're trying to give so that we get in return. We will gladly give up something of lesser value in order to receive what we truly want. We do this all the time. We will easily give up something of lesser value to receive what we really want. Many people see spiritual practices as a way of gaining worldly treasures, but that's not spiritual at all. It's actually rebellion. It's rebellion against God. It's rejecting God when we pursue anything other than him. And you can do that in your giving. You can do that in your serving. You can do that in your, your, your church attendance. You can do these things in order to get something from God instead of getting God himself. God's people have always been tempted to forsake God and follow after worldly things. This was the great error in the book of 1 Samuel when the, the people demanded a king. They go to Samuel and they say, Samuel, make a king for us, anoint a king for us so that we will be just like every other nation. They had God as king. They were unlike any other nation. No other nation had the God of the universe as their king. And they say to Samuel, we want a king just like everybody else. And so Samuel goes to God and God says, anoint for them a king. Give them what they want. And in pursuing what they wanted and following an earthly king, that's exactly who they became. They became just like the other nations. When we reject the things of God for the things of this world, or when we serve God in order to get the things of the world, it's not God that we serve. It's not God that we worship. It's, it's stuff. And so we continue to be tempted into believing that what the church needs or what we need as individual believers in order to fulfill uh, what God has called us to or in order to be fruitful in God's kingdom, we, we're tempted to believe that what we need is power and influence and status and favor. We need all of these things before we can actually do what God has called us to do. And so we pray, Lord, if you give me this house, then I will use it for you. I'll host Bible studies and dinners for the homeless. If you give me this house, then I can do this thing. Or Lord, if you give me fame, then I can actually tell people who you are. If you make me famous and everyone knows my name, then I can tell them about Jesus. Or Lord, if you give me wealth, then I can afford to give to your kingdom work. I can afford to give to the church. Lord, if you give me all of these worldly desires that I have, I'll give you a finder's fee. I'll give you a little kickback. If you give me what I really want, then I'll give some of that thing to you. But when we chase after the treasures of this world, when it's the world and what the world has to offer that we really value, then we become just like the world. So many Christians and so many churches have prized relevance in this world so much that they have become just like the world and have become completely irrelevant. If we think we need to be like the world in order for the world to listen to us, we're wrong. It's our distinctiveness. It's what makes us different that demands to be heard. 
that demands that the world listen to what Jesus has to say. If we prize relevance so much and become so much like the world, we will become so much like the world that they will stop listening. So many people and pastors have tried so hard to be liked by the world that today they no longer like Jesus. They've completely lost it. The scribes want all that the world can offer. And they receive it. They receive what the world offers in this life. But in the end, Jesus says that they will receive the greater condemnation. All of the good, all of the the beautiful things that they've received in this life. Jesus says that what awaits them on the other side of this life does not even compare. It is a greater condemnation than the joy and the blessings that they've received in this world. They want the world and they get the world, but hell is thrown in. The woman wants God. Jesus points to her after warning about the scribes, points to this woman and says, this is what God desires. This woman is a picture of what God wants from us, not not poverty, not to be destitute, but he desires authentic worship. He desires that we give him absolutely everything. He desires that we cherish him and treasure him above absolutely everything else. And this is what the woman does. And where the scribes receive condemnation, the woman is commended. He points to her and says, this is good. Many will come to Jesus and say, I have no time, so I'll give my money. Or they'll say, God, I have no money, and so I'll give my time. I'll give what I have an abundance of. I'll give from my extra. I will give from my surplus. But this is the difficult truth, that Jesus doesn't want just the surplus. He doesn't want just the extra. Jesus wants it all. He wants absolutely every ounce of who we are and what we have. He wants it all surrendered at his feet. And this kind of life is incredibly costly because it costs us everything. But it is a life of value. A life of value comes at a great cost. Following Jesus comes at the cost of everything we have to live on. That's what the woman gives. It's only two coins, but it's everything that she had to live on. Many throughout history, throughout church history, and even to this day in some places where persecution still happens, it comes at the cost of life itself. Following Jesus will require our life, and sometimes it requires our physical life. And so this kind of life is impossible. This kind of discipleship is impossible. You can't do it. Guys, we don't come to church and go, I can do it. I have the strength. I just need to come to church and get a little more gas in the tank so that I can go back into my day and I can do it. I can do it, God. I can do this for you. That's not what this is. Guys, we can't do it. We can't can't do what this woman does. We can't do what the widow does. This is impossible to come to God and say, God, I don't have enough to even live on. 
and what I have, I'll give to you. It's impossible apart from the grace and the power that Jesus gives his people to follow him. It's impossible, but thanks be to God that he gives us what is necessary. Apart from truly receiving what Jesus has given us, what he has given up for us, we'll never sacrifice for him. We'll always give from the margins, but we will never give till it hurts. See, the woman knows something that the scribes don't know. The woman knows that God is greater than long robes, that God is greater than greetings in the marketplace, that God is greater than the best seats in the synagogue or at the festivals. God is the greater treasure. He's a greater treasure than anything this world has to give. And so because of who God is, because he is the greatest thing we could possibly know or experience or receive, because of that, then it's because God himself is the power to give it all away. If we want to live a life like this woman, we need to receive what Jesus has to give because Jesus himself is the power to give the rest of it away. The reason this woman is commended in scripture is because she's ultimately a fulfillment. She's only a picture of what Jesus has done. See, in her poverty, she gave away everything to seek God's kingdom and God's glory. But Jesus had eternal kingdom riches and glory and he gave it all away in pursuit of you. The reason that God can be our greatest treasure is because he made you his treasure, his treasured possession. He abandoned heaven. He abandoned his throne. He abandoned eternal glory and comfort and honor and praise where angels and seraphim flew above his throne and cried out day after day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He abandoned being worshipped in heaven to come to earth in humanity and to lose that as well to not even live eternally as a human, but to be condemned and to be mocked and to be abused and criticized and crucified. He gave absolutely everything to seek you. This woman gives everything she had to live on, but Jesus gives his life. Not to just forgive your sin, but to take the penalty of your sin upon himself. He received poverty and brokenness and abuse and death so that you could receive the kingdom of God. He gave everything he had, not just away, he gave it to you. He made it available to you. Everything that he has as the son of God, he makes available to us. See, the reason we struggle to hold, the reason we struggle to hold on to the world's glories is because we truly believe they're more valuable than God. The reason we struggle to open our hands and let them go is because we're afraid of what it's like to live without them. Think about the things that you love most in this world. Think about living without them. a big deal. This isn't easy. Think about the people that we love. We think about the things that mean most to us. 
Think about living without them. All we want to do is cling tighter to those things. All we want to do is, is, is hold on tighter to those things. But what Jesus is calling us to today is not to reject those things. Just telling us to open our hands, not so that he can take them away, but to open our hands so we can truly receive them as gifts from him. Not as, not as valuable in and of themselves, but because they came from God. They, they, they're a gift to us of his grace. So the reason we can open our hands is because he gave them to us in the first place. And so we open our hands so that he can use those things and so that he can use us as he desires. We're afraid of living without them. But often the result of pursuing them is living a life without Jesus. When we pursue them, when we make them our everything, we might gain the whole world and forfeit our soul. And so we claim to believe great things about God, but then we end up just living like the rest of the world who don't have God. But the reason that we can give it all, to, all away today, the reason you can open your hands, the reason you can let your treasures fall to the floor today and give it all away is not because you are so great or so generous or so awesome like these scribes. The reason you can do it is not because you have so little to give, so what's the point? The same thing asked of this woman is asked of the scribes. The woman just does it. This isn't new. We remember this from the rich young ruler. Jesus asked the rich young ruler to do the exact same thing, and he didn't do it in his wealth. And this woman who has less, who death is nearer for her. She's destitute. She's able to do it, not because she's amazing, but because what Jesus gives is greater than what the world gives. What Jesus gives is the power for a transformed life. The reason many people believe in Jesus, but their lives are unchanged, is because we want Jesus as a savior, but we reject him as a treasure. We're happy to let Jesus save us from undesirable circumstances, but we don't let him save us from our worldly desires. We're happy to be saved from hell, but we struggle to be saved from greed, from lust, from deceit, from pride, from anger. He came to save us from those things as well, not just to give us a greater eternal destiny, but to give us a greater life now, free from those things that tear us down and cause us to tear others down. We love the idea that Jesus sacrificed for us, but we struggle to sacrifice for him. We love being his treasured possession, but we treasure possessions over him. We struggle to see real change in our lives because we're happy to see Jesus on the cross, but we struggle to put our life on the cross with him. Guys, Jesus calls us to give everything, no matter how great or how little you have. He asks for your life. He asks for everything, that you would pick up your cross and follow him. If you're not experiencing the freedom that Jesus gives, it may be because there's something else in life that we're treasuring more. 
What is it that we treasure more than Jesus? That thing is preventing us from actually experiencing Jesus. He calls us to give it all away, to lay it all down and experience what kind of beauty and what kind of treasure that Jesus really is. The reason we so often come to church and we leave this place unchanged is because we receive what we've learned and we go home and we take these thoughts and we place them on the shelf like dusty books on dusty shelves in in, in a house that's burning down. And we go home and we put these things away and we we don't revisit them. We don't think about them any longer. We come to church and we, we receive some encouragement. We come to church and we receive some wisdom, some knowledge, something that, that makes us feel better. And then we don't actually do anything about it. But if you would leave here and be transformed, if you would leave here and, and, and be a different person than the one that left, if you would leave here and look more like Jesus and less like the scribes, if you would look more like this widow, this beautiful woman, and less like the scribes, more like the kingdom of God and less like the world, then don't just receive words. Don't just receive truths. Don't just receive explanations of God's word. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Receive everything that God has done, everything that God is. Don't just receive words, but receive the voice of the Holy Spirit, which beckons you today to give it all away to give it all away, to open your hands, let your treasures fall to the floor, become rusty and decayed and receive Jesus because Jesus is better than what's waiting for you at home. Jesus is better than what you spend your life working for day in and day out. Jesus is greater than what you dwell on, what keeps you awake at night. Jesus is greater than your reputation. Jesus is greater than your wealth. Jesus is greater than your career. Jesus is greater than your family. He's greater than anything else this world has to offer comforts and security. He's greater than any treasure that you could ever spend your life discovering. He is the greatest beauty we will ever know, the greatest treasure we will ever receive, the greatest thing we could ever glimpse our eyes upon. He is greater than life. And if you would actually leave here changed, not just with new knowledge, but leave here a new person, then you need to open your hands, stop pursuing the things of this world, let the world go the way the world goes, but receive Jesus and go the way that his kingdom goes into eternity for the sake of his glory, for the sake of your good. We have got to open our hands and let God pry these things from them so that we can actually receive what he wants to give. He wants to give you Jesus. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you something greater than you even know in this world right now. I promise you, I promise you this. If you are here and you do not know Jesus and you've heard people talk about Jesus, I guarantee you, you have not heard who Jesus truly is. He is better than you have ever been told. He is better than I can tell you right now. Scriptures say that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. If you receive Jesus today, you will see him as a greater treasure than this world has to offer. And if you are here today and you know Jesus and you feel stagnant in your walk with him, 
that even you, Jesus is better than you've been told. Jesus is better than you know. The things in this world that are vying for your attention, the things in this world that you're pursuing instead of Jesus, Jesus doesn't want you to feel guilty over. He just wants you to know that he's better. He just wants you to know that he's, he's better than those things that you're pursuing, and he's just waiting for you. He's waiting for you to put that thing down, whatever it is. It could be a good thing. Wealth is not a bad thing. Relationships are not a bad thing. Career is not a bad thing. But when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing, it becomes a rival God that interferes with our experience of the one true God. Don't leave here unchanged. Don't come into church week in and week out and continue to stay stale and stagnant in your walk with God. By putting your faith in Jesus, you will receive the Holy Spirit who will not only pour out the infinite value of God's kingdom into you, he will make you become more like Jesus. And then like this beautiful woman in this text, not only will you become more like Jesus, but you will be able to put the infinite worth of who Christ is on display for the world to see. When you let go of everything you have and everything you are, and you receive everything that Jesus has to give, then what people will see in your life is Jesus. And they too can know the eternal riches that he provides. Father, this is what we long to do, God. We want to let go of our lives, God. We want to let go of the things that this world distracts us with. God, we want to surrender everything at your feet. We know this may play out differently in our lives as you call us, Lord, to follow you and however you lead. But Lord, today, I pray that we would leave it all at your feet because you've given us something so much greater than we can receive in this world. Lord, we've given you, we've, we've received you. You've given us yourself. God, I know this is a hard word. I know that we all at some point are gonna, are gonna struggle to see this play out in our lives. Lord, many of us have come in today feeling empty, like we've got nothing to give. And some of us are coming in feeling pretty good about ourselves. But the gospel levels the playing field. Jesus asks everything of all of us. We are all empty apart from you. And we all have everything to give. God, I pray for those who are on the fence. Pray that they would experience your goodness, your love, your grace, Lord. And that in laying it all down, they would experience all that you've given. God, we pray that you would help us to live a life of value, not because we are awesome, but because you are so good. Pray that you would accomplish this by your power for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen.